I chose to do this passage because I think it's apropos for what a lot of us are going through today. Um, the, the fact that Jacob wrestled with God, there's many parallels in our own lives. Um, in light of recent events, of course, uh, nationally, politically, but also individually in our own lives. And I think Jacob is a perfect example of things we can learn from, from him. Jacob is a man who struggled between his flesh and his spirit. Jacob's name is an imprint of his actual character. His name means heel catcher or deceiver. He was born as a twin with his brother Esau, and Jacob spent his life manipulating, conniving, and deceiving. He manipulated his brother for his birthright through a bowl of stew. Jacob was kind of what what you would term as a mama's boy. I don't know if that's politically correct, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, He liked to dwell at home. He was kind of a homebody. He deceived his father Isaac into giving him the family blessing instead of his brother. He and his mother Rebecca schemed together how to make him the heir of the family's inheritance, despite the fact that God told Rebecca that that was going to happen when, before they were even born, that the older shall serve the younger. Jacob was forced to flee from his home, from his brother, after he deceived Esau out of his inheritance. He ran to his uncle Laban's house, where for the next 14, 14 to 20 years, he was forced to serve and earn his marriage to the woman he truly loved, Rachel. In fact, Laban spent, uh, Laban spent 20 years manipulating Jacob. Jacob was Laban's meal ticket because Uncle Laban knew that God was with him. Jacob was deceived into marrying Leah. He wanted to marry Le- uh, Rachel, but he was deceived in marrying Leah, the one who was not the most attractive. He was really in love with Rachel. And after taking Rachel for his wife, after 14 years, there was a struggle within the home between Rachel, Leah, and Jacob. And out of this dysfunctional marriage were birthed the 12 tribes of Israel. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't be discouraged by your dysfunction because God can use it for his glory. He sure can. So there was this competition between Rachel and Leah who could birth the most children. And that's how the 12 tribes tribes of Israel were born. And that's how the Messiah was given to to the world through those 12 tribes, well, through the tribe of Judah, of course. Toward the end of his time with Laban, Jacob insisted that Laban give him his wages for serving him all those years and let him go back to his home country of Canaan. Jacob comes up with a plan to gather all of the spotted and speckled sheep from Laban's flock, the the defective sheep, if you will, and allow him to breed them with what would become his wages or his own sheep. Of course, Laban agrees, but instead of keeping his word, Laban removes all the speckled and spotted sheep from his flock and separates his sheep from Jacob's sheep for the better part and separates himself for the better part of three miles. So he tries to pull a fast one on Jacob. Laban's plans fails because God blesses Jacob. So the Lord comes to Jacob and tells him to leave Laban's house and head back home, head back to his home country of Canaan. The Lord had allowed Jacob to be in servitude 
with a master Laban that is pagan, manipulative, unruly, unreasonable, so that God would show Jacob his own character. Have you ever noticed that God will do the same in your life and in mine? He'll put you with someone that you can't stand, that is obnoxious, but yet maybe that person is a mirror image of yourself to get you to see where where God is trying to change you. So Jacob's heading home, and he came to Laban with nothing, but he left with a huge family, two wives and 11 sons, massive wealth and a great future posterity. As Jacob is traveling home, he notices a band of angels, a heavenly escort, if you will, to ensure that God's promises are fulfilled and that Jacob is safe. And he calls the name of the place in Hebrew, Mahanaim, which means two hosts or two armies of angels. So there's two armies there to escort Jacob home. No doubt this reminded and refreshed him of his own salvation experience when Jacob laid his rock there on his way to Laban's house 20 years earlier, when he laid his head down on the rock at Bethel and he saw a vision of angels going up and down a ladder from heaven, he was saved at that point. So Jacob sends messengers ahead to let Esau know he's coming. And no doubt there was concern over Esau, how he would react after their last altercation. After all, he ripped off his birthright, his inheritance. And he fully expected Esau to be angry with him. And really, he wants peace. There's no more competition as far as Jacob's concerned. And he wants to ask him permission to travel through his country unharmed. So Jacob's servants return to let him know that Esau's coming with 400 men. Jacob freaks out. He's scared. He panics. And so Jacob begins to divide his company, his servants, his wives, or I should say his servants, his flocks. And he sets them in two companies, if you will, to prepare for an attack. And after that, Jacob begins to pray. And this is something that Jacob has never done in his entire life. He's never resorted to ask God for help. Never. And all throughout his life, The way he's gotten through life is he's always schemed his way out of trouble. But now the Lord boxes him in. There's nowhere to run. He has to face what's coming. He can't go back to Laban's house. He can't go in another direction and land in a pagan nation territory where he could be destroyed. The only way is to move forward. The only way out of this mess is to deal directly with Esau. His past is catching up to him. And the Lord does that to us also, doesn't he? He boxes you and me in with no way out of our situation, and he forces you and me to depend fully upon him. He forces us to deal with our past and to come to grips with who we really are. In our character. And he puts you in that place. Why? So he can release you and bring freedom to your life. So Jacob begins to pray. He says this, O God of my father Abraham 
and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and your kindred, that I may do good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. This is a wonderful and humble prayer that Jacob prays. And what is it about this prayer that's so rich? Number one, he reminds God of what God has promised. Jacob reminds God that, that, hey, you promised me a good end. And I find that when I pray the promises of God in the scriptures, that my faith soars to another level. I'm I'm not reminded, I'm not reminding the Lord to keep his promises. Rather, I'm reminding myself of what he's already promised. He humbles himself before the Lord. Jacob says he's not worthy of all the things that God has done for him. And he acknowledges it wasn't his scheming that gave him a big family and great wealth, but it was merely the Lord and his grace and his faithfulness. And when we go to God in prayer, it is important that we humble ourselves before him and acknowledge that everything we have is from his hand. Number three, he petitions God for his safety. He begs God, please deliver me. And number four, he reminds God of his promise once again. So Jacob first reacts in panic, knowing Esau, his brothers, headed straight for him. Then he resorts in prayer. And you would think that that would be enough. But Jacob resumes his plotting and his scheming and his old ways. Wave after wave, he starts to send gifts in droves ahead of to meet his brother, to to try to pacify him, to appease Esau. The real battle that you have in your life is not with your boss, your coworker, your spouse, your church friends, your neighbors, your mom or dad. The real battle lies within you. It's within you. It's within your heart. The battle you're fighting is not with man, but it's with God. And that's what Jacob's about to find out. You see, God wants to transform your heart so that it rests in him for your security and not in anything else. Jacob's reality was that his past was about ready to catch up with him. He was going to have to face it. Would Esau forgive him or destroy him? And how sad it is that we live in regret for our past mistakes and failures. 20 years have gone by since his scheming, and now he's going to face it. But like I said earlier, God has boxed him in and is forcing him to face it, just like he does with you and me. Is God bringing you into a boxed place? You know, the children of Israel, when God sent them out of Egypt, he, uh, he told Moses to lead the people down to between two mountains. One mountain was called Migdal. One mountain was called Piahiroth. There was a Red Sea in front of them and there was an army bearing down be, behind them. There was nowhere for them to go. Nowhere. And the Lord said, this is where I want you to be. 
I want you to, I want you to be in a place that is impossible for you so that I can show myself strong on your behalf. And that's how the Lord works. So with that background, let's get to the pinnacle of this story, this struggle that Jacob has. Let's see how God works in him and through him and how this wrestling match relates to each one of you and I. Look at your Bibles in Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So Jacob was acting in some sort of faith, but still acting out of self-preservation and self-dependence. He put his wives, Rachel and Leah, his concubine, Bilhah and Zilpah, and his 11 children. This includes Joseph, who was probably a little boy, and Dinah, who were both really young. And Jacob knows in his mind, he's the last line of defense. He's already sent two companies ahead to meet Esau. He knows he's the last line of defense. And so he's doing the best he can to put he and the river Jabbok between Esau and his 400 men so that the other wave of servants and flocks or so that his family would be protected. I think Jacob is emotionally exhausted. He's spent. He, at this point, especially after his confrontation with Laban in the previous chapter, and this is exactly where God wants him to be. He wants Jacob tired. There are some of you here who are emotionally tired from running from your situation and from the Lord. And God is allowing your strength to be drained so that you can encounter him in a fresh, new way. You see, like Jacob, the Lord wants to rid you of all self-dependence. He's changing your heart to let go and be fully dependent upon Jesus. You see, God moves strongest when you and I are at our weakest. And that's why he's allowing you to come to your own personal Jabbok River. He wants you to separate yourself from that which you feel is most important. And he wants to get alone with you. This is what Jacob's doing. He's feeling alone. He feels tired. He feels exhausted. There's a story about a little boy who had been invited to a friend's birthday party. He was so excited and started counting the days until the party started. But the morning of the party, he was devastated when he found that a blizzard had struck his little town. And the snow was falling heavy in these big, thick, uh, wet flakes. And the wind was howling. And his father said, I don't think you should go to the party. And the little boy was so disappointed. So he began to beg his father, begging to be allowed to go. And finally, much to his surprise, his dad said, all right, you can go to the party. The little boy bundled up his hat and his coat and his mittens. And I understand we have some Minnesotans here, so they know what this is like. He saw and, and, and he started down the street to his friend's house. 
When he got to the door, he turned around and he saw his father turning to walk back home. And it was then that he realized his father had been walking behind him all the way to make sure he was safe. You see, Jacob may have felt alone, but he wasn't alone. And you may feel alone in your situation as well, but you are not alone. God is with you. God's there. Look at verse 24. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And Jacob was left alone. Don't miss this monu- the monumental importance of this statement. That Jacob was left alone. Jacob wrestled with Esau. He wrestled with his mother. He wrestled with his father, Isaac. He wrestled with Laban. He wrestled with Rachel and Leah. Jacob was wrestling with everyone else. But the one he needed to wrestle with the most was God himself. And he was finally all alone. He was alone with himself. With his thoughts. With his failures. With his character. With his mistakes. With his faith. And now we will see God really begin to work in and through Jacob. And after this encounter, he will never be the same again. Same with some of you. You've wrestled with so many people in your life seeking some semblance of peace, some form of control, some form of purpose. And yet you continually wrestle with the wrong people and the wrong things. And now you're left empty. It has gotten you nowhere, just like Jacob. Oh, yes, God blessed him with a family and wealth. But as Bono once sang, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, there was, a, there was a, uh, a kid the other day, he's like, who's you too? And I went, oh, man. <laughs> now I have to explain who they are. It just showed my age. But anyway, but what he doesn't realize is he really needs peace with God. Isn't it interesting that the Lord hid Esau's tender heart? See, Esau had changed. The Bible tells us he changed. But God hid it from him. And isn't it interesting that the Lord is letting all of this play out in his life? In Luke 24, 13 through 25, there's a story about two disciples that personally witnessed the death of Jesus. They were walking on the road to Emmaus, and as they traveled, they discussed all the things that had happened to Jesus along the way. Jesus was resurrected at this point, and he all of a sudden appears to them, but Jesus hides himself from them. And they explain to Jesus all the things that happened. And Jesus does this interesting thing. It says there in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'll bet that Bible study was riveting. I'll bet that was the most amazing. I mean, gosh. But he's doing something in them. He's stirring up their hearts through the word of God. Through the word of God. So that they would rest on his promises. They focused on his death and they were hopeless. But Jesus gave them hope through his word. So Jesus stays with them. He breaks bread with them that evening. And as he breaks bread with them, their eyes were open to who he was. And of course, Jesus disappears. He revealed himself. And they said to each other, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he was talked to us on the road while we, he opened the scriptures? You see, Jesus wanted them to know that God was true to his promises and he wanted them to have hope in him through his word. The Lord might be hiding the solution to your struggle. Do you know that? He might just be hiding the solution to your struggle so that you'll get alone with him. So that you'll struggle with him for a while. And struggling with God is a good thing. Maybe so that you'll struggle with him and understand that your problem and my problem is not really our problem. That our problem is with the Lord. And notice the Bible says here that that a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This must have been a UFC cage match. This must have been a knockdown, drag out, bar brawl or something. It, It must have been just crazy. Who is this mysterious person who shows up? And I believe it is none other than a pre-existent appearance of Jesus Christ himself. And theologians call this a theophany. It's, a, it's an existence of Jesus in the uh, Old Testament. And it's where, whenever, it's where Jesus shows up when it concerns the redemption of the nation of Israel. Or individuals like Gideon. Or in this case, Jacob. He's also known in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And I want you to notice something. This verse does not say that Jacob wrestled with the man, but the man wrestled with Jacob. That's huge. Why was God wrestling with Jacob? What did he want from Jacob? God wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance and all fleshly scheming. And God came to take it by force if necessary. Isn't that why you are wrestling with the Lord in your life? What does he want from you? What is he calling you to lay down and surrender to him today? Why do you think it's such a struggle for you against him? What do you think he's trying to pry from you? And notice that this wrestling match lasted until the breaking of day. Jacob was already tired and now you can imagine how exhausted he was at this point. This must have looked like a Greco-Roman wrestling match or something going on. Whatever it was, Jacob's determination to have his own way was stronger than his determination to let God have his way. He wouldn't let go. He would not back down. And right up to the end, Jacob still held on his rights to himself. Maybe that's why you are tired. Because you stubbornly refuse to lay down what God is calling you to give over to him. Some of you are like Jacob. You're wrestling with him and you refuse to lay it down even though you're tired. You refuse to give God control of those areas of your life that he wants you to surrender to him. If that's you today, I beseech you, lay it down. Lay it down before Jesus. Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, when it says that the man did not prevail, that the man did not prevail against him, don't assume that this was an even match because it wasn't. It only had the appearance of an even match. Jesus could have wiped him out easily. No doubt about it. So what does it mean when the Bible says here, when the man saw that he did not prevail, how could God not prevail? The answer is simple. He wrestled with Jacob all night long and his heart was still stubborn and obstinate. His heart was not completely given over to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He cripples Jacob. Now you may say, isn't that cruel? That's kind of cruel, isn't it, for him to do that? Is it? Is it cruel for God to cripple someone who is a lying, scheming, master manipulator who ruined his life and those around him? Is it? On the contrary, this is going to be a blessing. It was then, and only then, that Jacob knew what he was up against. Jacob came up against someone he could not out-scheme, he could not outwit, he could not out-manipulate, and he could not outmatch. God crippled Jacob for the rest of his life. For some of you, God has crippled you in some way. He's crippled you perhaps in your finances. He's crippled you perhaps in your relationships. He's crippled you in your health. He's crippled you to keep you possibly from destroying yourself and others around you. You find that you cannot move forward with the thing that you struggle with. You find that you can't move ahead. So God in his mercy, perhaps, maybe, has crippled you to force you into a soul dependence upon him. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that is the best place you can be. That is the best place you can be. Oh, you may walk with a limp like Jacob, but that limp will all of a sudden become the source, not of your weakness, but of your strength. Because that's where the Lord is free to work in your life. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 as he describes his, he had a vision of heaven. He saw the throne room of God. He said there were things there that are not even, I couldn't even utter it if I could. He says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ rests upon me. Jacob's hip is now dislocated, which means he'll no longer be able to do something he's relied on for years. He'll no longer be able to run away. Have you been running? How long have you been running? Long time? You've been running away from the Lord? 
Maybe he's crippled you so you'll stop running. Maybe he's crippled you because he loves you. Maybe he's crippled you because he wants to bless you. You can't run from God. One way or another, one time or another, he'll have his way. But when he does, brothers and sisters, it'll be sweet. Jeremy Riddle is one of my favorite worship leaders, and he has a song called Sweetly Broken. And when you come face to face with the Lord, it'll be like this in his song, Sweetly Broken. It says, at the cross, you beckoned me. You draw me gently to my knees and I'm lost for words. So lost in love, I'm sweetly broken, wholly surrendered. Then, of course, Jacob says, let me or excuse me. Jesus says, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob was defeated, but in desperation, he knew he needed a blessing from God. He wouldn't have asked for that blessing if he thought the one he wrestled with was God, but he, he knows, he knows. And now he's in a place where he's ready to receive it. So he asked for this blessing. God's about ready to give it to him, but look at verse 27 with me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. So here in verse 27, in response to Jacob begging for a blessing, God asks him, what is your name? It's not as if God doesn't know his name. He just wants to hear Jacob say it. What the Lord is trying to get him to see is who he really is. You see, years earlier, his father Isaac asked him, who are you? And Jacob answered, I am Esau. And now it's as if the Lord is saying, Jacob, let's try this one more time. What did you say your name was? See, years earlier, Jacob deceived his father, Isaac, to steal the birth, to steal the blessing of the family's inheritance from his brother. So here is the turning point in Jacob's life. He answers, I am Jacob. I'm a heel snatcher. I'm a conniver. I'm a master manipulator. I'm a swindler. I'm a deceiver. Jacob is coming to grips with who he really is and what his true colors are. You can go through life trying to be someone else as Jacob had. You can go through life putting on the Christian face and coming to church. You can go through life pretending to be someone that you're not. But until you're confronted with who you really are, you will always be miserable. It's not who you are to other people. It's who you are before God. And Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean your bank account's empty. It doesn't mean you don't have enough money to pay your bills. It's the realization that I'm totally bankrupt before God. The word for poor here in the, in the Greek is the word tokos, which describes poverty in the most severe terms. 
It describes one that is reduced to a beggar that has to grovel for anything they get. It is a realization of my own depravity and sinfulness apart from Christ. And that's the place where God brought Jacob. He was confronted with God and himself. And there was no way out. There was no scheme to get him out of this trouble. And Billy Graham once said, when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. So here's where the blessing comes. You ready? Look at verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And as soon as Jacob admits who he really is, God immediately changes him from Jacob, which means heel snatcher or manipulator, to Israel, which means governed by God. Jacob, the old you is gone. I have changed your identity because you've admitted who you are before me. And now you are finally governed by God. No longer are you Jacob. You are now Israel. God changed his entire identity through his surrender. You see, that's all the Lord's looking from you and from me. He wants you to admit who you really are. He wants you to admit what you've really done. It's in that moment when Jesus will change your identity in your life in a supernatural way. This is the gospel. The gospel, all it requires of you is to simply admit and repent and turn and understand who you really are before the Lord. In that moment, he will make you alive with his spirit. You will have the peace you've always longed for. You will have the purpose that you were made for. You will have a relationship with the living God and you will know him personally and intimately. You will be a child of God whose heart will change and be at rest. And that's why he has you in this pickle in your life. We live in a very crazy time right now in our culture. And of course, with the Supreme Court ruling, we have gun issues, LGBT and all that. I'm not going to get into the politics of all that. But do you see what's happening in our culture? People are starving for an identity and they look for it everywhere else but the Lord Jesus. I want to be new. I want to be something different than what I already am. So maybe perhaps if I change my sex or I change my job or if I change my relationship or if I change this, it all comes to total destruction. None of it will work. And it keeps going down the rabbit hole deeper and deeper because nothing satisfies. Jacob was looking for a change of circumstances, but what he got was a change of heart. And Jacob lost the battle, but he won the victory. You don't win by winning with God. You win by losing to God. And God wants to change your heart before he changes your circumstances. G. Campbell Morgan once called Jacob's experience the crippling that crowns. Look at verse 29 and 30. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. 
And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob, in curiosity, asked God, Hey, what is your name? And a name in, in, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew uh, family, was a revealing of one's identity. But Jacob knew who it was because he said in the next verse that he named the place Peniel, which means facing God. And he was in God's presence and live. And it's as if God says, Jacob, you know who I am. I am that I am. Unlike you, my name never changes. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him and he and the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And therefore, verse 32, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him. He's limping. And don't miss this. If we were to rephrase it this way, it would say the sun, S-O-N, rose upon him, Jacob or Israel, as he passed facing God, limping because of his hip. Jacob was crippled and would never be the same. He would never be the same physically. But boy, is he different now, spiritually. See, Jacob walked back to camp to his wives and his children. And can you imagine little Joseph? Little Joseph. Can you imagine little Joseph seeing this, knowing what, his, what, what lies in his future? Parents and grandparents never underestimate how your life will, will, change, will, will shape the future of your kids and your grandkids. Little Joseph probably looked at his dad and said, Daddy, what happened? You're limping. You're hurt. And Jacob probably looked at him with, with tears rolling down his face and said, Son, I met with God today. And it's okay what happened. This is good. This is good. And everything is going to be different from here on out. Because I met with God face to face. I met with God, and this is going to be a blessing. And for the rest of his life, people will watch God be faithful to a crippled man. Maybe that's why some of you have been crippled, so that people can watch God be faithful to you and be blown away by him. And so... For the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. Jesus Christ came for a rescue mission. He came to rescue you and me from ourself. He came to rescue you from death and hell because he desperately loves you and wants to set you free. Jesus, in your place, became the better Jacob and was crippled by God so that you and I could stand upright before God.
Jesus is the better Jacob who took our punishment on Calvary so that we could walk in blessing. He took our sin so we could have his righteousness. Are you tired from running from God? Are you tired of habitually committing the same sins over and over? You ready to lay it down? You ready to turn from being a Jacob to an Israel? Are you ready to be made brand new in Christ? You can. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can be made new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for boxing us in. Thank you for confronting us. Thank you for giving us no way out but you. And thank you for changing us from Jacob's to Israel's. There are people in this room who are struggling, who are wrestling with you. And I pray, Lord, that you will conquer and bless them. Some of you have been wrestling with the Lord. And with with every eye bowed, every heart bowed, I want to invite you. Just repeat this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm crippled. And I'm tired of running. I surrender it all. And I give you my life as best I know how. Jesus, save me. Jesus, bless me. And fill my heart with you. In Jesus' name, amen.